Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Taking our Bibles this morning and turning to the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter. The Gospel of John has been called the Gospel of the Seven Signs, and this morning we're looking at the fourth of those seven signs. This particular sign or miracle has been selected by the Spirit of God in order for us to understand that Jesus is God, and that believing in Him we can have life through His name. As we turn on our Bibles to John chapter 6, we find the familiar story of a little lad who gives Jesus his five loaves and his two small fishes. And Jesus takes those five loaves and those two small fishes and he feeds 5,000 hungry men and their families. All four of the Gospels tell the story of the lad's loaves in the Lord's hands. In fact, this is the only miracle that is spoken of in every one of the Gospels. And because the Spirit of God features this miracle so evidently in each of the Gospels, it's important for us to slow down. It's important for us to learn carefully what it is that the Lord wants us to see in this particular sign. C.H. Spurgeon was right when he said, the miracles of our Lord ought to be considered. They are not trifles and they ought not to be passed over. Everything that has to do with the Son of God is a fit subject for the deepest study. Neither earth nor heaven, time or eternity yields choicer gems of thought than the achievements of our Lord. As we open our Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John chapter 6, there's a great message that this miracle wants to teach us. And that message of this miracle is this. In times of my extremity... I should look and discover God has an opportunity to show himself mighty. Or as the psalmist said, David said in Psalm 37 verse 25, I've been young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken and I've never seen his seed begging bread. We open our Bibles this morning to discover that Jesus takes care of all of our needs. John chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. Jesus went up into the mountain. There he sat with his disciples. The Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. And when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? This he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in this place, so the men sat down in number about five thousand. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said to the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracles that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth that prophet 
that should come into the world. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into His Word. Lord, this morning, we know that there are many who are joining us online and many who are ill and many who would prefer to be out and sharing in testimony and song and exhortation and faithfulness with those who gather here. And so, Lord, we pray that You'd encourage every heart this morning by the message of Your Word through the power of Your Spirit. Those who have gathered here this morning would go out from this place saying it's been good to be in the house of the Lord, that those who are tuning in this morning would hear a message that would encourage them and encourage us all in a time of confusion, in a time when dread and despair seems to have fallen upon so many. We thank you that as the people of God, we have reason for rejoicing in every circumstance. Even when the stall is empty, we know even when the fig tree fails that you are faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord, remind us of that wonderful truth this morning in your word. May this story that was taught to so many when we were children, and now to us as adults, bear precious insight into the ways of our God. May we see Jesus Christ, our Savior. May we cling to him today, for we are indeed dependent children. We need your care. We're so thankful that you have promised to be with us always, even to the end of the age. And so today, Lord, we claim your precious promise, and we ask through your precious word, by the power of the Spirit of God, that you would convince every heart of your care, of your love. And Lord, that we go out from this place to tell the world round about us of the beauty of the Savior, whose name has been lifted up in song today, whose name is alone worthy to be bowed before. And Lord, I pray that during this particular time, you'd help us to lift up our eyes as a congregation and see the opportunity that God has given to us to share the light in an increasingly difficult time. May your word this morning in this familiar story build faith in our hearts, and may we together live for you until you come or until you call us home. In Christ's precious name we pray, amen. Someone who had a lot of time on their hands and a very important point to make, sat down and calculated what it took for God to provide for the Israelites when he brought them out of Egypt. This is what he wrote. When God brought Moses and the children of Israel into the wilderness, he well knew that three or more million people would require a great amount of food. According to the quartermaster general of the United States Army, Moses would have needed 1,500 tons of food every day. To bring in that much food daily would require two freight trains each a mile long. Talk about supply chain, right? In addition, the people would also need firewood for cooking the food. It would take another 4,000 tons of wood and a few more freight trains each a mile long just for one day. And don't forget, they were 40 years in transit. Besides this, they required water. If they only had enough to drink and wash a few dishes, it would have taken 11 million gallons a day. To supply such an enormous volume would require a freight train with tanker cars 1,800 miles long. In addition, they had to get across the Red Sea. Now, had they marched double file in a narrow path, the line would have been 800 miles long. You ever been frustrated in a line before? Further, it would have required about 35 days and nights to pass through the other, to the other side. 
Thus, there had to have been an opening in the Red Sea around three miles wide so that they could walk 5,000 abreast to cross over in only one night, as the account records. Do you suppose that Moses calculated all this before he left Egypt? No, you see, Moses simply trusted God and believed in his promises. As a result, God took care of all the details for him. Now, do you think that God has any problem taking care of all your needs? I love that article. I love the simplicity of it and the grandeur of the great truths that it reminds us of. The times of human inadequacy are times of divine opportunity. As the Apostle Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 10, when I am weak, then I am strong. We are often guilty of making calculations for every circumstance and forgetting to factor in faith. We often tend to focus on our problems while failing to remember the power of Jesus is sufficient for every single one of our problems. I want to be very, very clear this morning as we open our Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 6. This story is shouting one simple message. Jesus can meet all of your needs. This is the message of this familiar story. After all, the Lord takes five little barley loaves and two little fishes, multiplies those barley loaves and those fishes to feed 5,000 hungry fishermen. After all, this is by the Sea of Galilee and their families. And verse 13 says, they gathered together the remnants of it and there were 12 baskets full. Because the miracle of the loaves and the fishes is found in all four of the gospel accounts, it seems that God wants us to ponder this miracle even more deeply, even more carefully. Scattered among the gospel accounts, there are various elements of this miracle, so let me share some of them with you this morning so we can have a full picture of what's happening here in the gospel of John chapter 6. Back in Matthew chapter 14... The Bible says this miracle occurred in a desert place. That means it was an unpopulated place. It was a place of sparse population. Luke chapter 9 tells us in verse 10 that this happened near the town of Bethsaida and that Bethsaida was Philip's hometown. In fact, the Lord turns to his disciples and asks them if they can find some food, some provision, some supplies for this multitude. He doesn't want to send them alone or home alone hungry. And in Matthew chapter 6, the heart of the Savior is so revealed for this hungry congregation that he says he has compassion upon the multitude. He doesn't want them to go away and faint along the way. And he sees them as sheep scattered without a shepherd. In Mark chapter 6, we discover this miracle happens around dinner time, the time when most people are most hungry. And in John chapter 6, the passage to which we've opened, Jesus speaks specifically to Philip, his hometown after all is Bethsaida, asking if there's a place where we can find supplies for this multitude. And Philip confesses, there's no McDonald's, there's no Subway, there's not even a Chinese buffet. There, there is nothing. And Andrew brings forward in John chapter 6 and verse 8 this little boy introducing him to Jesus as a little lad who's carrying his little lunch 
with five little barley loaves and two little salted fishes. And Jesus takes the five loaves and Jesus takes the two little fish from the lad. He feeds the 5,000 men and their families and pulls together 12 basket loaves, one for every one of the faithless disciples to look at and realize what a great miracle Jesus has done. But more than that, to help you and me to understand that Jesus can meet every one of our needs. He can meet every one of your needs. So I want to look at this simple story that we've known probably for many, many years and extract from this story four directions that can help us in our lives today. Because Jesus can meet every one of your needs, listen, you can depend upon Him completely. You can depend upon Him completely. Over and over and over again, the Bible encourages us to bring our troubles to the Lord. The psalmist says in Psalm 50 and verse 15, Call upon me, says God, in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. Again, the psalmist in Psalm 86 and verse 5 shares this testimony. Thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all who call upon thee. I love Jeremiah 33.3. In fact, it's on the prayer cards in front of you there in the seats. That verse says, call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 11 and verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Many of you know that I had the privilege of growing up in a pastor's home, which means our family was rich in faith, but not really rich in a lot of other things. In fact, as I recall, growing up in our home, it was rather sparsely furnished, and until I was nine years of age, I slept in something that they then called a rollaway bed. In my sparsely furnished bedroom, there was a little plaque over my bed or on the wall that was about 10 inches by 4 inches. It was a wood carving. And on that wood carving were the words of 1 Peter 5 and verse 7. The Bible says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I'm so thankful for the treasure of the Word of God that was placed on the wall of my bedroom growing up. I've need that, needed that message often, and you've needed that message too. How do we know that that message is true? Well, John chapter 6, this wonderful miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, helps us to see that Jesus sees the needs of his followers. He sees the needs of his followers. Look at verse 5. In John 6 and verse 5, when Jesus lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company coming to him, and he said to Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Jesus sees the needs of his followers. John is here building a case for us to consider that Jesus Christ is God and that believing we can have life through his name. And so he's been building this case chapter by chapter that Jesus Christ, who is God, is also omniscient. As God, he knows everything. 
And so back in John chapter 1, verse 47, Jesus is meeting Nathanael. And you'll remember the story, how that when he meets Nathanael, Jesus says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. And Nathanael says to Jesus, How do you know me? And Jesus responds. He says, I saw you and knew you even before you were introduced to me by Philip. I saw you while you were under the tree, while you were praying. And suddenly the Bible says Nathanael was convinced that this man knew everything about him. In the Gospel of John chapter 2, the end of the chapter, the Spirit of God includes these words, that Jesus needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. By the time you come to John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. And as he talks to that Samaritan woman, he says to her, go and bring your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And he says, thou hast well said thou hast no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and the one with whom thou now livest, he is not your husband. And immediately she knew that he knew her. Jesus sees the needs of his followers. And John wants us to see that Jesus, who's omniscient, knows about every one of us. We serve a good and faithful heavenly high priest who knows the feelings of our afflictions. He's omniscient. He knows about every one of his followers. He knows, the Bible says, when the sparrow falls. He knows how many hairs are on your heads, and he literally numbers each one. That's hair number 1,364. He knows it by number. He knows all about you. So, you can cast all your care on him. He cares for you. There's nothing that goes on in your life that Jesus doesn't care about. What wonderful ointment for a discouraged soul. There's nothing in your life that Jesus doesn't know about. Or as my professor said when I was in seminary, has it ever come to surprise you that nothing has ever surprised God? It's true. The songwriter well said, why should I be discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Jesus sees the needs of his followers, and Jesus has a plan. He has a plan for meeting the needs of his followers. Again, in John chapter 6 and verse 6, he himself knew what he would do. <laughs> the one who's never surprised by the circumstances that we face always has a plan for the end of the circumstance that we face. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 has become a favorite verse of so many believers. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. The one who knows the end from the beginning knows all about you and has a plan for you. There's an area in Israel between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea called the Judean Wilderness. The Judean Wilderness is an interesting place. It's a place of hills and valleys, steep hills and deep valleys. And the hills are conical hills. They, they look like 
pyramids, if you will, and around those conical hills, you'll find them striped. The stripes on those hills came from the hooves of the sheep who have climbed those hills over the millennia. No doubt it's on these hills where David was able to pen the 23rd Psalm, David the shepherd there, as he looked up at the stars and considered the greatness of God and the puniness of man. Looked out at the sheep and looked out at those hills and he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Then as he reflected on the hills, he would say in the 23rd Psalms, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. There's something interesting about the paths of righteousness. We only see one side of the hill. The shepherd knows where he's going. The shepherd knows what's on the other side, but we only see the one side. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. You see, the message of David's muse is exactly this. I don't always know what's going to be on the other side of that bend, but God always does. And his staff is always there to comfort me. He knows the end from the beginning. He has a plan for you. This one that we depend upon completely, sees the needs of his followers, has a plan for every one of those that he loves, and he provides plentifully for those for whom he cares. Five little loaves and two little sardines, salted fish. In verses 11 and 12 we read, Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that sat down and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. And when they were filled, Jesus said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, and now you know, 12 baskets, one for every faithless disciple to consider. This is the message God wants you to consider this morning, friend. You see, there are some in this room today who are worried that their IRA or their 401k is going to run out before their life does. And it might. There are some this morning who are looking at the rapid rise of inflation and realizing that that rapid rise of inflation may erode away their life saving and they're worried. And that rapid rise of inflation may indeed erode your life savings. Such things may happen. But there's more confidence to be had in the life of the believer than having full barns. Your barns can be filled and your heart can be empty. The Christian's confidence is in Christ. We know the one who provides plentifully for those who follow him, who knows the path upon which he leads them, who gently leads them along the way. We can say with the psalmist, my help cometh from the Lord. Where's your heart this morning, Christian? Here's a wonderful miracle that we've often considered. But it's a miracle that has a great message that needs to be drilled into us. That my extremity becomes his opportunity. That my challenge in life is an opportunity for him to open up a Red Sea before me and help me to pass over. Do you believe that? Then let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You can depend upon him completely. Now, that doesn't mean that you should not have a plan, and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't work your plan, but that does mean that you should work your plan by faith and understand that there is a God who is an everlasting God, and underneath us are the everlasting arms. And as I look at this wonderful miracle, there's another lesson that I learned. 
another point that needs to be made. We understand that we can depend upon Him completely, and further, we understand that because He can meet all of our needs, I can bring others to Him comfortably, and so can you. We can bring others to Jesus comfortably. Look at verse 2. It says, a multitude followed Him. Throughout the Gospels, we're seeing Jesus is surrounded by people. Everywhere Jesus goes, it seems people are attracted to Him. Parents brought their children to Jesus. Friends tore up roofs and put their friends down in front of Jesus. And we're learning that the Son of Man is a man of the people. We're learning this, that Jesus came to earth to bring God near so that Peter could say and John could say, we touched Him, we spoke with Him, we saw Him. He came to earth to bring God near so that the promises of God could be fleshed out, incarnated through Him. But there's something interesting that happens in the Gospel of John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus is able to gather this crowd, and in verse 37, look what He says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. Jesus is open to having a relationship with all those who come to him. He's open to having a relationship with you if you'll come to him by faith. Jesus is willing to minister to the crowd. A great multitude are following him. Now here's a chapter that would be very interesting to those who live in this demographically driven culture. We're living in a culture that has been focused on by marketeers, broken down by demographics, and come to be market-driven. Professional marketeers would do well to come to John chapter 6, and especially those in churches who are focused on demographics and market studies would do well to come to John chapter 6, because the marketeers and those who look at demographics always want to see enlargement. But in John chapter 6 and verse 2, there's a great market or multitude following Jesus. And in John chapter 6 and verse 66, we read, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. In fact, by the end of John chapter 6, Jesus is actually asking his 12 disciples, will you too go away? And Peter will answer for them all, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. In other words, as you look at John chapter 6, you'd have to say Jesus must have been a marketing failure. He starts with a big crowd and ends up with a little crowd. But what we have to understand from this chapter is Jesus never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the crowd is fickle. There are some today who will judge churches and ministries by size. How terribly anemic. Large churches can be places where there is no power of God, and so can small. And small churches can be places where Jesus gathers with God's people when they're there, and two or three gathered in His name know the special blessing of His presence, and so can large. It's not about large or small, it's about where the Lord is. And the Lord was with the crowd at the beginning, but the crowd left the Lord. Jesus is willing to minister to the crowds. But I love to see in this story how Jesus is willing to minister to the child. It's not just about the crowds, it's about the individual. 
in verse 8, it's Andrew who brings this child to the Lord. Andrew seems to be very comfortable bringing people to Jesus. Throughout the record of the Gospel of John, Andrew in chapter 1 brings his brother, Simon, who's going to be called Peter, to Jesus. Here in John chapter 6, it's Andrew who's bringing this little lad to Jesus. Later in John chapter 12, Andrew is going to bring a company of Greeks to Jesus. Andrew stands as a model for all who would bring others to Jesus. He brought others to Jesus, and you know what? He was never disappointed. Jesus made Andrew's brother a rock. Jesus took the little boy's lunch and served 5,000 hungry men. Jesus saw the Gentiles that Andrew had brought to his acquaintance. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus saw them, he spoke then about the crucifixion and about the resurrection, and God was glorified. Let me ask you a question. Are you like Andrew? Are you comfortable bringing others to Jesus? Are you comfortable bringing people to the Lord? You know, again, speaking transparently, we're living in a generation where there seems to be a greater discomfort in bringing people to where even the gospel is being preached than has been in past generations. And some people's minds get clouded like this. Well, people who come where the gospel is preached, it's an unfamiliar circumstance, and they might feel uncomfortable. So let's make the circumstances of where the gospel is being preached more like the people that are coming to hear the gospel, and perhaps there'll be a greater comfort level. Boy, that's flawed thinking. Did you know that people have pretty much always been uncomfortable coming to where the gospel is being preached? Why, the Bible says the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Unto us who are saved, it's the power of God. Folks, never be concerned about the ambiance and the situation. In the ambiance and situation, I don't think there could be anyone more difficult for someone to introduce to the Lord than Peter must have been to his brother Andrew. Bringing Peter to Christ must have been a difficult circumstance. Bringing a little boy and revealing the fact that he's carrying a lunch when no one else has one must have been a difficult circumstance. And bringing Gentiles in to meet Jesus in the midst of a group of Jews, not exactly a popular decision. If you're waiting to be comfortable in bringing others to Jesus, you'll never do it. Andrew wasn't waiting to be comfortable. Andrew was simply bringing others to Jesus. And the place where God's people gather ought to always be a place where the comfortable are convicted and where the convicted are comfortable. In other words, bring folks to the Lord understanding like, like Andrew understood that there's an urgency about this. There's an opportunity before us about this. In fact, all around this room this morning, there are those who are grateful for someone who brought them to Jesus. Maybe the invitation came from a family member, maybe from a friend. And perhaps the person who invited you to consider the claims of Christ and consider the gospel, perhaps they were more than a little uncomfortable when they gave the invitation to you. If you overanalyze it, you will be stagnated by the paralysis of analysis. Get over it and bring somebody to Jesus. Invite them to church. Invite them to a Bible study. Share the word with them. Andrew's faith was small in this passage. He brought a little lad to the Lord, and he introduced the little boy with his lunch, and he said to the Lord, hey, he has five loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? 
I thank the Lord for Andrew. He was missing the obvious, and I often miss the obvious too. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. It's easy to become discomforted when inviting others to the Lord, when we ought to be seeking to influence others for Jesus. There's a story about a Scottish pastor who was very discouraged. At the end of a full year, one of his deacons came to him, and rather than being a minister of encouragement, he discouraged the pastor further when he looked back over the year and he said to the pastor, Pastor, I've been watching, and through the whole year, there's only one soul who's been saved through the means of your preaching. Well, the pastor went home and he thought about that one soul. In fact, the deacon had said to him, and that little boy, Robert, who knows what he'll ever be. The pastor got on his knees before the Lord and said, Lord, only one, and that little boy, Robert, only Robert. The next time the pastor saw Robert, Robert came up to him and he said, Pastor, do you think if I study hard, do you think ever I could be a pastor or maybe a preacher? The pastor was so encouraged, he said, yes, Robert, I think God could use you in that way. And smiled and began to pray for little Robert. Robert Moffat would go off to be a missionary in Africa and reach thousands with the gospel of Christ. Don't ever be discouraged by bringing others to the Lord. Andrew is mentioned in this passage as the one who brought a little boy with his lunch. And we too ought to be willing to bring others to Jesus and do so comfortably by faith that Jesus can do the work. Bring others to Him. He's able to take care of all of our needs. And so we learn this in this wonderful miracle, that you can give to Jesus and you can give to Him confidently. Verse 9, of course, reminds us, five loaves, two fishes. Jesus took the loaves. Somebody has said, there are actually two miracles in verses 1 to 14. The one miracle is obvious. That's the miracle of five loaves and two fishes feeding 5,000 men. But the other miracle is this, a little boy let go of his lunch. And that's a miracle. But there are a couple of valuable lessons that are found in this passage. First, Jesus appreciates the gifts that we give him. In verse 11, Jesus took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples five little barley loaves. Barley was the, it was the meal of the commoner. It wasn't wheat. It was the coarse grain of the day. It was the inexpensive food, five dry little biscuits. <laughs> but Jesus gives thanks. During his earthly ministry, Jesus never failed to see the little gifts. He saw the widow's mite. He saw the little boy's lunch. He saw the great gifts, like the alabaster box that was poured upon him. You know, we train our children to say, what do you say? And we want them to say, please, or we want them to say, thank you. When you serve the Lord, you never have to ask what he's going to say. He's going to say, well done. When you give to the Lord... You demonstrate your faith in Him as a faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. And Jesus is able to use that little gift that that little boy gave. Somebody has said, Jesus is after all a master mathematician. He is able to subtract five loaves and two fishes and then divide the five loaves and two fishes in order to multiply the five loaves and two fishes and add them up so that they're 12 baskets full. Jesus wants us to have faith, the faith of a little child who will come and give 
to give what is dear to us. Sometimes it's our time, sometimes it's our talent, sometimes it's our treasure, but to give what we have. What if you were the little boy? Would you have given your lunch to the Lord? H.A. Parsons, his father, Henry Parsons Crowell rather, his father died of tuberculosis when he was only 36 years of age, leaving behind Henry, who contracted tuberculosis and ended up going out west, as they often said, to a drier climate where he would be a rancher for a time and ultimately be able to come back to Ohio, his home. He had a couple business ventures that went pretty well, and ultimately he bought an old mill, an old mill that packaged oats for horses. And he prayed that the Lord would give him good business acumen and wisdom along the way and ultimately ended his life as America's, he was called America's breakfast tycoon. You know Quaker Oats. But did you know that before Mr. Crowell bought Quaker Oats, uh, oats were typically sold in big barrels for cattle and feed for horses and they typically would get worms and mold and nobody wanted to eat that for any reason until he took it and packaged it in little sanitary containers in a smaller size and marketed it for a a breakfast cereal for the masses. And did you know that Mr. Crowell so loved the Lord that 70% of everything that he ever brought in, he gave out to the Lord's work? There are buildings named for Mr. Crowell in places like Moody Bible Institute because of his generosity. And this is what he said at the end of his life, great testimony. He said, I've never gotten ahead of God. He's always been ahead of me in giving. That's exactly right. Romans 8.32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things richly to enjoy? That God, who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, he'll meet your needs. He'll meet your needs. So you can give to him confidently, and you can serve him. You can serve him certainly. In verses 11 through 13, we read, And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to his disciples and disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as many as they would. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. And therefore they gathered them together. They filled twelve baskets. And the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above were unto them that had been eaten. There's a lot to learn about successful service in this passage. So let me just highlight a couple thoughts as we close. Did you notice that prayer is required for service to be successful? Jesus prayed before he multiplied the bread and the fishes. Friend, you'll never accomplish great things for the Lord unless you do things foundationed by prayer. An order is required He asked them to be sat down. In fact, the Gospel of Mark says, sit them down in groups of 50 on the green grass that was there. He distributed John 6 and verse 11 to his disciples. There's order in this passage. And 1 Corinthians 14 says in verse 40, all things are to be done decently in an order. We worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness, and that ought to be in an orderly manner. You can't worship the Lord in a cacophonous place of distraction. And in this passage, dependence is required for service to be successful. Everyone knows who the host of this dinner is. The host of this dinner is Jesus. For without Him, you can do nothing. And stewardship is required for service to be successful. At the end, 12 baskets were picked up. The fragments weren't just thrown on the ground. I remember having a conversation with a deacon a number of years ago after a 
lengthy conversation about how money should be spent for the church. And this is what he said to me. He said, Pastor Phelps, you know what I've learned along the way? It's way easier for me to make decisions on finances for my family than it is for me to do that for the church. I said, oh? And he said, it just seems like the stewardship responsibility for the church is so much greater. I thought, you know what, that's a wise deacon. There's a stewardship responsibility in ministry that's great. If God's given you a class to teach, do your best. If God's given you an aisle to usher, do it as unto the Lord. If God gives you a baby to rock in the nursery, do it carefully. There are no fragments that are not a concern to the Lord. All of His blessings need to be carefully stewarded. And so, what do we learn in this passage? Well, we learn much, don't we? We learn that the Savior that we serve can take care of all of our needs. So you can depend upon Him completely. You can bring others to Him comfortably. You can give to Him confidently. You can serve Him certainly. May God help us. May God help us to understand the blessing of the feeding of the 5,000 is the blessing that we depend upon every day. Will you stand with me, please, as we pray? This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.